right. Well, hopefully you've had a good time of chatting about these ways that you've been able to be uh, one of these types of mentors and even receive uh, these types of mentor roles from others. And uh, we want to, uh, like also throughout this conference style time, we want to show you stories and tell you stories about people who are living this out. And so we have a video coming up here of a couple in our church uh, named John and Kathy Norton who have been an incredible discipling influence in so many people, and I would say including myself. And so looking forward uh, to you hearing their story. So check it out. We started working with student ministries at Calvary. I did when I was a senior in high school. I was on junior high staff. And then John was the first junior high intern here at Calvary when he was in college. Yeah, I had graduated from high school in 1980. And uh, the junior high pastor at the time, Frank Freed, asked if I wanted to be the summer intern. I said, sure. So I jumped Whoa. in and uh, sort of <laughs> caught the disease of working in student ministries. We thought these kids probably want a break from us and um, don't want us involved in their lives anymore. They're in college. They don't really need us. What should we do? And um, John Eshelman approached us and asked if we, if we wanted to help with college. And I think we realized that, gosh, all of these kids we've spent so much time with, we miss them. We, we really loved having them be a part of our lives. And, um, and there seemed to be kind of a mutual kind of appreciation for the relationship and and so we thought well let's give a life group college life group a try you know we were still working with a lot of the same students but they were just at a different level all of a sudden they were asking different kinds of questions and experiencing different parts of life and and um, wrestling with different issues and so to be able to interact with them kind of in a more mature way was really gratifying I think for me um I had so many people pour into me when I was in um, high school here and in college and a newly married couple and a new parent. There were, there's a huge list of adults that um, either formally or informally spent time with me, mentored me, gave me advice and I wanted that for my daughters but also for their friends and there was an opportunity to do a Bible study with them at an age where it was something that was on them. They wanted to do it. They wanted to participate and study the Bible together. So yeah, I'll be, we'll be happy to help them do that and just do that with them and see what that looks like to go through a book of the Bible and study it verse by verse and apply it to your life. I mean, we're just so blessed to uh, have the legacy here at Calvary. Uh, I know that's not everyone's experience with church um, and for lots of different reasons, but but we just are so grateful that we've been able to be, you know, a part of this local body for so long and have so many people really genuinely care about us and, and commit their lives to us and helping us be more like Jesus, you know, walk more like he would want us to walk behave more like he would want us to behave so that, you know, our community can be 
impacted. So, you know, it's just so we can be light um, for those around us. And so I think it's in some ways it's just sort of an expression of gratitude to those people um, for us to then want to turn around and, and pour that into others. In some ways, I, I think about you know, discipleship and, and kind of mentoring and walking alongside these students is like a, it's like being in a workshop together, you know. We get to put, you know, put the project out on the table and say, let's hammer this out, you know, let's get out the, the tools and kind of figure out our faith together um, and work on those things, you know, in a safe environment, you know, alongside one another cooperatively and, and learning from each other so that then they can go out into the world and be effective. Um, so that's just sort of a picture that helps me think about, you know, how it works and why it works. You know, it's just, it's, it's us being in a workshop together, learning how to do life more like Christ effectively. Neither of us went to a Bible school, a university where we studied the Bible or whether um, you don't have to know all the answers. What you have to do is have time and spend time and nobody has time. We're all very busy, but to be able to take a break from what's happening, to see the people in front of you and to go, oh gosh, you're really hurting right now. I need to drop what I'm doing and spend time with you. That's what you need to be able to do. You need to be able to have that attitude where you can go, I can let this go right now. I can let my to-do list go and just spend time with these people and help them and pray with them and talk through things with them. There's a, there's a part of me that feels like if I had all the answers, then, then Christianity really wouldn't be very deep. Because <laughs> I know my limitations. <laughs> you know, I know my capacity is only about like this. And if I had all the answers, what would that say about our faith? And, and the reality is, is there is so much that we can mine, that we can do that together. To me, that brings a sense of confidence and richness and, wow, what we're dealing with really is meaningful. I mean, it's really transcendent. It's not something that, that I can just like, you know, get a, a, you know, a checklist of all the answers. And so, you know, I guess I've never felt that sense of pressure. In fact, it's the other way. If I felt like I knew it all, I would start to question, is this really worth following? I mean, besides seeing your own kids um, live out their faith, there is nothing more gratifying than having poured into the life of um, another person and then seeing them turn around and pour themselves into the life of somebody else. We need each other. We need to invest in each other. This younger generation, they need your input. They need you to love them and to care about them, to ask them how things are going. Um, you don't have to be cool. Or perfect. You're right. You just need to be available to them. and. They're happy to talk to you, to learn from you. It's great. Besides caring for your own family, what else are you going to do that's more important? Nothing.
Yeah, so hopefully you're being encouraged and inspired even by, by their story. Just so grateful for the Nortons. Uh, encourage you to grab your books again. Look at uh, page 24 as I introduce our next speaker, Eric Tonis, as he talks about uh, discipling the lost generation, why discipleship is essential. Uh, Eric is uh, a professor at Biola University, the chair of the Bible and Theology Department, actually. But also, uh, I just have heard and I know that he's this sort of student favorite type professor. And what that tells me, usually when they're that type of professor, that means they're really smart. That means they really care. Okay, they really care about these, these kids and they're really passionate about what they do. And so I know that he's a, a man that is passionate about God's word and even discipling young people. He's also a pastor at Grace EV Free, which I think is a great balance and blend to, to what he does. And there's a book that we have actually available out in uh, the lobby called Life's Biggest Questions that he wrote. And I mean, man, I mean, life's biggest questions. What a great resource even for us as we consider when we don't have all the answers, right? And just as we try to help other people process their questions. So please, let's welcome Eric Tonis. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. I love this church already. I'm a pastor at Grace E.V. Free in La Mirada, but I'm thinking of maybe attending here now and then. I hope it'll be all right. Uh, this is so good. I love this theme on discipleship. We are going to steal everything you're doing and maybe give you credit for it. But we, we really are thrilled. I don't think there's a greater need than basic discipleship in the church. And I don't think there's anything more central to our lives as Christians than basic discipleship. But somehow it's gotten lost. Somehow a, an awareness that believers have that discipleship is at the very core of our lives, which means we follow Jesus. We're followers of Christ and we help others to follow Him as well. That's at the very heart of our lives. And that is what influences everything else we do. There's no part of our lives that isn't discipleship, that isn't trying to follow Jesus, seeking to follow Him, and helping others to follow Him as well. You, you've laid a beautiful foundation for this in the past few weeks, continuing it today and, and on. It, this is just a great emphasis. I hope you're really paying attention because discipleship is not what the professionals do. Discipleship is not what the paid God guys do. It's what, not what those who in seminary do only. It's, it's equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what leaders do so that discipleship happens at that level. And so I just love what's happening here. And there is a desperate need. I love what we just heard from the Nortons. Are they here? Are you here? The Nortons here? Yeah. You love the Nortons. Yay, Nortons. I want to give you hugs and headbutts. I, I just love... <laughs> What you're doing over there. Where are you, Nortons? Raise your hands. Yay! I love you guys. What you're saying is so true. And, and it's important to realize that you don't have to have all the answers and you don't have to be cool. Really, young people are desperate for discipleship. They don't care if you wear a pocket protector and duct tape on your glasses. They really don't. They just want you to love Jesus and love them and help them grow. That's what it is. And there's a desperate need. We could talk a long time about cultural and intellectual and theological influences in the culture that have been going on for a long time that have undermined so much of what it means to be a Christian and think like a Christian and grow like a Christian that has influenced this generation. I'm 50, so I grew up 
Who actually dialed phones at one point in their lives? Yes, yes, I love it. Yeah, so I grew up a long time. I grew up in a time where if Oprah got on television and talked like she does now about God being a spirit and a wave and an energy and a source and being in touch with the cosmic Christ, and people would have just gone, huh? And now they go, oh, that's deep. And it's because the generation that, that is behind us now, those who dialed phones, the ones behind us, they've known nothing but that. They've known nothing but a culture that's disconnected from some of the most basic assumptions we have to have as Christians about life and truth and meaning. And so we need to help the younger generation desperately to, to come along and understand what it means to be a Christian. Not operating just based on those sorts of ideas that are, are prevalent so often. So to see all of our lives as discipleship. I want to show you a photograph of my, uh, my church family. And to realize that church is discipleship. We're doing discipleship right now. When Dave was up here preaching, he was discipling. He was, he was carrying out a discipleship ministry. Helping us grow as followers of Jesus. And so the local church, this is uh, folks in my church praying for uh, missionaries who are about to send off to Africa. I could tell you stories about everybody in that picture that would encourage and inspire you. And church is the context of discipleship. It's the best one. It can happen anywhere. It can happen in a janitorial job, beautifully put. But the core of it all is the local church. And so I love that a local church is taking this seriously because it can, discipleship ministry can become so professionalized that we, we can forget and disconnect from what the call of our lives are. So first and foremost, the church is about discipleship, growing. And, and this is my church family. This is, this is the primary context of discipleship in my life, both as someone who's being discipled there and doing discipleship there. This is the family that lives in our house together. That's my daughter Caroline. There on the right, she's 14. And my daughter Paige is actually here with me this morning. She is delightful. She's my traveling buddy. She's my personal assistant. She does all kinds of things for me. And then Sam was a two-day adoption a couple of years ago. A social worker called and said... We've got a boy, he's adopted, the family's given him up, will you take him today? And we said, can you give us till tomorrow? And they said, okay. And we went and got Sam. We talked to the girls, prayed late in the night and got Sam. But we adopted Caroline when she was eight, Paige when she was seven. And we're also getting, uh, no, I guess I don't have Sam. I'm sorry. I, we're, we're picking up a boy from China, hopefully, in the next few months, who's also eight years old. Sam desperately needs a brother. And so he's on his way. Hold tight, Sam. But, but that's my family. And family's discipleship. Family at its core is seeking to raise disciples and be disciples in that context. So the church is this context of discipleship. And the, the family is a context of discipleship. And you got a glimpse of this photograph. This is my family. What We, we, we don't look like that usually. We look more like this usually. And, and so that's my... My, my family. But you notice there's a young man in there who wasn't in the first photograph. That's Zach Prosser. And Zach is a 21-year-old man who loves Jesus, who grew up in Portsmouth, England. He is our spiritual grandson. We, uh, I played American football in Europe for a few years, and, and I played on a team with his father, 
And his mom, before Zach was even conceived, long before he was, back in the early 90s, I was playing American football and got to know their parents and lived with them, actually. And then my second season, Donna went back and we lived with the Prossers. And they didn't even have intention of having children. But over time, we were able to lead Zach's mother, Caroline, to Christ. They came and visited. Her dad had just died and she was asking questions for the first time. And we were were able to lead Caroline to Christ. And then she flew back to England with a Bible and a newfound faith. And I almost wanted to get on the plane with her, with her Bible and say, Oh, don't read Leviticus first. Let's, let's, uh, and, and how's she ever going to grow apart from our being there? But the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of Caroline and she started leading in her church and discipling younger women in her church and getting involved in children's ministry. And then they had uh, Hope, his, uh, Zach's older sister who also loved Jesus and Zach. And so not only did Caroline grow, but Hope and Zach grew and Zach came and spent last summer with us and went to Hume Lake with our high school group and just had a delightful time and I got to know this godly young man and I can't tell you how moving it is to know that across the ocean we have a spiritual grandson and granddaughter and that's what God does. He infuses our lives with that sort of generational ripple effect with simple faithfulness. Proclaiming Christ and helping others to grow in Him as well. To live a life that can have that sort of impact is an astounding thing. Something that that gives our lives profound meaning well beyond 75 years and a pension. Discipleship is our lives. It really is what fuels our lives and fills our lives with meaning, profound meaning. And there is a desperate need. I have minimum eight hours of office hours a week at Biola. And they're always full, packed, jammed full with students saying, there are no more slots, could I please come in? Because they desperately want to talk about their lives and what it means to grow in Christ. The sexual revolution, the effects of postmodern thinking that doesn't believe in truth that's true for everybody, has given us a generation in, in shreds, without families to help, without families that are present, our transient, fragmented society has ripped things apart in a way where there's so much confusion, confusion and there's a desperate need for the older generation to disciple the younger. A desperate need. And when I hear couples like the Nortons getting on board, I say, thank you, Lord. We need all hands on deck. There is so much need and desire as well. There's this idea that um, older people don't think younger people are interested in them because they just think they're fuddy-duddies who watch Wheel of Fortune and do nothing else with their lives. And that's not true. That's not true at all. There's a desperate need for mother and father figures and, and grandmother and grandfather figures and brother and sis, older brother and sister figures to lead and shepherd and disciple a desperate need. I want to look at a, uh, oh, this is, this is a group of my students. And for me, teaching, pastoring, living, fathering, it's discipleship. That's what it's got to be for us. This is Carissa McDuff. She, uh, her family uh, went through a very hard time. Her, uh, and she ended up living with us when she was a student at Biola. She was thinking about being a philosophy professor because her her senior thesis on reformed epistemology won awards, and, and, but she just loved orphans so much. So now she lives in India and, and helps 
kids in orphanages and in slums. She's married to a man of Indian descent who's a pastor there. And to think that our lives had some sort of effect in, in this woman's life who's making a difference on the front lines of missions is, is just a thrill to think about. And so, so our lives can have tr- such tremendous meaning. L- listen, listen to this passage in Colossians. I, I want us to think about a few points here because it's, it's a great way of framing what discipleship is in many ways for us. You've had such good teaching so far on the foundation of discipleship. This is one more perspective we can consider. So notice Paul says, describing our ministry, his ministry and ours as well, him we proclaim. So our primary role is to proclaim Christ, to have a Christ-centered ministry that points people to Jesus. Yes, works itself out in the details, but is fundamentally Christ-centered. Our lives need to be about Jesus being seen in our lives and through our lives and in our words. So it's a Christ-centered ministry. It's always seeking to hold Jesus up, have the Spirit work in our lives so Jesus is upheld. People behold the beauty of God, the glory of God in the face of Christ, and they're drawn to Him. They're drawn to the Savior. When John says, I must decrease and He must increase, that needs to describe our ministries, that we are ambassadors, representatives, pointing people to the Savior, helping them see His beauty. Yes, in our lives, but ultimately Him is who we proclaim. And notice the word proclaim. It's an important word. It's, it's not just Him we discuss or share or, or um, debate. No, we proclaim. Our ministries have got to have conviction at the core. We, we desperately need men and women of convic- conviction. We live in this ambiguous age, don't we? Do you know, especially in Southern California, probably more than anywhere in the world, ambivalence is cool. It's cool to say, I don't know, whatever, just saying. Have you thought about these sorts of expressions? Just saying, don't hold me to it. Just saying, just throwing it out there. I'm not committed to it or anything. And we say like, so it's like a nice day. Is it or isn't it a nice day? I just, would someone please make a definitive statement? Because if you don't, a rapper will, who is not teaching Christian truths. We need Christians willing to not just say like things, but say things. We live in an age of whatever, and Christians can't be whatever people. And at the core, especially the younger generation, is desperate for people who believe something. And so the the Christian discipleship ministry is one of conviction and belief and, and proclamation. At some point, yes, we discuss, yes, we ask good questions, yes, we interact, but at some point we need to take a stand and proclaim what we believe as if it's really true from the Word of God, which is what we believe. So it's, it's a Christ-centered proclamation ministry. But look at the next phrase, warning everyone. Warning everyone. So there's warning here. What, what, what do you think the warning is there? What do you think the primary warning is? Anybody? What, what are we warning people about? Hell, exactly. A coming day of judgment. 
Let's not lose a sense of seriousness about this. It is appointed a man once to die and then to face the judgment. If our ministries don't have any sense of that sort of seriousness and that sort of urgency, they're not good Christian discipleship ministries. There's got to be a sense of, of Jesus returning. I know it's really uncool to talk about that now for fear we would be affiliated with the Puritans or something or Jonathan Edwards as if that would be a really bad thing. But, but no, it, there's a seriousness to this. There's hell to pay outside of Christ. And so we need to have a warning, a seriousness, and teaching everyone so there's a content basis to it. Certainly not having to know all the right answers. Oh, we do seek together, but there needs to be content to all of this. It's not just relational. It's not just Rogerian therapeutic listening and responding back what you're hearing. At some point, there is content we want to pass on. We've been handed the good deposit from the apostles and prophets, and now we want to hand it off. We want to care for the good deposit of truth that's been entrusted to us and hand it off. So that means we do need to be growing in our understanding of things. We do need to have a theological core and a biblical basis for what we believe. So we need to be modeling that for people. So teaching everyone with all wisdom. We want to do it in a wise way that actually accomplishes these goals that is counterproductive. And why do we do all this? This is it. Here's the cypress right here. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal here. Presenting everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal. So those who aren't in Christ, we want to lead them to Him. Those who are in Christ, we want to see them grow in maturity in Christ. Maturity in Christ. So on the judgment day, that's judgment language again. Presentation language is judgment language. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. So at the end of the day, at, at the final judgment, we'll say, Lord, there are people who know Jesus and are more mature in Jesus than they would have been apart from my influence in their lives. That's our presentation before the Lord centrally. And it's in Christ that this all happens again. And then Paul says, for this I toil struggling. So it is work. It is carving out time that we don't think we have. It's devoting ourselves to people who are never done. People are never done. I have results envy in my job as a discipler because I watch carpenters build houses and they're done. They're fitted. People are never done. And it's work, and it seems like once you get one problem solved, another one arises in our fallen lives. And that's part of the deal. It's, it's work. It's toil. Here's a blue-collar worker, this leather worker, Paul, saying it's work. It's sweat of the brow, gritty work that we have to do together. And, and so it's work, but that's not the end of the story. Look how it concludes. With all his energy that he powerfully works within us. As disciples and disciples, we are able to see the work of God in the Spirit's work, taking our efforts, taking our toil and struggle, and then energizing it and empowering it in a way that saves people's lives, that makes a difference for generations. That's astounding, and that's wonderful, and that's meaningful, and that's something worth living for. So ultimately, we depend on the Spirit's work. It's God who does this through His instruments that we are. Beautiful truth. Well, I I love that we're digging in together, uh, discussing, and now there's some time for reflection. Now, in your journal, pages 24 and 25, there are some journaling questions. So we can think about what it means 
to, to take this seriously. Think about the influences in our lives. Think about uh, the challenges, the obstacles that keeps us from these sorts of lives that have eternal import. So take a few minutes and, and write down some thoughts. Uh, solidify some of these things in your minds as we continue thinking about discipleship. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are grateful that you have drawn us to yourself, adopted us into your family, made us children and subjects of the King, and uh, that you have made us new creatures in Christ. We thank you that our lives now as ministers and priests are able to have an impact in astounding ways that we won't even know until eternity. Lord, thank you for these precious saints. I pray that as they, they think now, reflect in their own lives as, as disciplers and disciples, that you'd help them to solidify some important things. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.